Hello, and welcome to Moonwise, a monthly podcast featuring conversations with women of power. I'm your host, Dorte Sophie Royal, and in this episode, we bring you my conversation with Heather Freilich about embodiment and the art of dancing through life. We talk about reconnecting with the childlike joy of movement. We discuss the connection between emotions and physical symptoms and how a healing crisis can be a wake-up call. Heather shares some simple practices you can do at home to transition out of fight-or-flight mode and into rest-and-digest mode. I want to send a big thank you to our Patreon subscribers and welcome new subscriber Rebecca L. DeMarco. Every contribution helps to make this show possible. You can join us at patreon.com slash moonwise, where I'm sharing a recipe for star anise hot chocolate to spark joy in these cold winter months. I'd also like to invite you to join me and Susan Lipschutz for our virtual new moon circles over Zoom. These gatherings have proven to be such a highlight of my month, and I leave each one feeling nourished and reminded that we're not alone. Each circle features astrology updates, writing prompts, herbal insights, and a guided meditation. The next one will be on December 14th, 2020, so visit moontent.co to reserve your spot. Okay, on with our show. Heather Freilich began her professional life as a dancer. Throughout her career, she experienced several dance-related injuries that left her unable to perform. As a result, she decided to learn about healing and attend massage therapy school. The experience changed her life, and she chose to dedicate her career to the service of helping others heal. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Hi, Dorte. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, I'm really excited to chat with you in a time when many of us are finding ourselves a bit cooped up at home, in front of computers, maybe inside because of cold weather and not really moving as much as we might. And so I have personally gotten to get healing body work with you over many years. And so I just really respect your approach and the way that you are with your clients and the way that you teach. And so, yeah, it's just an honor to have you on the show. I really appreciate it. And likewise, you know, as you said, we've known each other for a long time and, you know, just seeing where you have taken your work in the world and the podcast, it's just really beautiful to watch it evolve over time and uh, grateful to be here on the other side because I'm also an audience member. Thanks, Heather. Well, I would love to start with talking about how you spent many years of your early life as a dancer and then transitioned into the world of body work and healing work for others. And I'm just so curious about how your dance experience brought you to an understanding of healing the physical body that might be different from other healers. I started dancing when I was three years old and you know, when I went into junior high, high school, I started to realize it was a dream of mine to become a professional dancer. So I upped the ante on my training and spent many hours in the studio. And, um, you know, when, when it comes to training as a dancer, you know, there's obviously so many technical variables involved. However, there are other variables involved that might not be apparent to someone that hasn't been through dance training. For example, like spatial awareness and kinesthetic awareness as far as the relationship to yourself and the relationship to the outside world, whether it be other dancers, 
whether it be a curtain on the stage, um, whether it be, you know, a ballet bar in the studio, really having to um, gain an understanding that there is a direct connection, even if we can't see visibly between the dancer and the outside world. There is an energetic connection. So I feel like really early on in my dance training, I gained a sensitivity to the fact that A, we're all connected, and B, there is an energy exchange between us internally and us in the outside world. So um, I share that with you because when I do work with body work, I feel like that understanding that everything is connected brings like this fine tuning component to the work that I do and understanding that everything is connected within the, inside the client, their emotions, their energy, their physical structures through the fascial system. And instead of treating their body and their being like separate parts, I'm actually coming from that everything is whole and working from that perspective, that one part is affecting another. And how can we help get their energy and their physical being back together like pieces of a puzzle to connect back to the greater whole. So they as a whole can walk out of the session feeling more connected, if that makes sense. Totally. And you talk about how tissues hold memories and emotions and traumas. And in our culture, we often separate our experiences and feelings from our physical symptoms but we're being shown in so many ways that they're so interconnected. Yeah. And when I was training as a dancer, even though, yes, I, I gained a sensitivity to the energy in the world around me and that everything's connected. The thing that wasn't connected for me though, was the experience of my heart and my emotions. I had some early childhood life traumas, starting with the passing of my father when I was seven and some subsequent experiences thereafter, that the way for me to have lived through that experience was actually for me to dissociate. And so while I was going through my dance training, yes, those things that I talked about being connected were definitely being honed, but the main thing I was focusing on was the physical. I pushed my body to no end to get that pose, to execute that choreography as perfectly as possible. Yet the thing that was disconnected the whole time was my heart. And I didn't know this was happening at the time, of course, until I started um, experiencing several chronic knee injuries. My body started screaming at me, through this particular injury that would reoccur over and over again to make me wake up and pay attention. But at the time, I didn't know anything about the healing world, so I didn't pay attention. I just took care of the physical. I went to physical therapy. I trained harder. I did everything I could to get my physical being in shape while still ignoring the emotional. And so it wasn't until I entered the world of body work and healing did I start to realize, oh my gosh, I have to look at this huge iceberg I've created by ignoring my emotions this whole time and really deal with this so I could become embodied in myself. And so even though I was dancing, 
and rehearsing at one point up to six hours a day, five days a week, I was not in my body majority of that time. So, um, you know, I can't stress enough to clients that it's really important to not only take care of the physical, but if you also don't take care of the other parts of yourselves, the physical will make sure that you know something is up by getting injured, feeling sick, what have you. I think it's so interesting that you bring up embodiment because recently I've really been thinking about how many of us really do feel alive in our bodies and how many of us wake up each morning with energy and excitement for the day. I know for me, I've only recently started a morning practice to actually really land and breathe and feel and move into my body and actually arrive as this embodied being on the planet and not just a mind that's like running around, like worrying about what's going to happen next. This is, I feel such an important topic because to your point, yes, so many of us are spending even more time at the computer and obviously closer to home. And so sometimes where someone might have relied on their walk to work in the morning or walk to public transit as their form of getting into their body and ready for the day, they most likely don't have that anymore. And so now it's time to pivot and choose other things that could help the prevention of getting stuck in the head. And what I'm seeing very generally, especially at the start of the pandemic, is how many people have felt so deprived of touch of human contact, this basic biological need that we have to the point where, you know, the very first, um, the very first thing my first massage teacher shared with us in class on the first day of massage school was that babies will die if they don't get healthy human contact when they're born. That's how important touch is. And when there is when that's taken away from us, it can literally have some stress effects on our bodies. And we can feel out of touch, not only with the world around us, but with ourselves. So one thing I'm encouraging clients to do is when you can't get in for a body work session or you're at high risk and you're, you're not feeling safe enough to even explore that option is to not underestimate the value of your own self-contact. So a lot of what I've been teaching in my workshops lately is teaching specific hand placements on the body that can help, for example, stimulate the vagus nerve, which helps with our rest and digest mode, where we're out of fight and flight and our body systems can function with ease, our digestion can function normally, our breathing slows down, our heart rate slows down. So that's one aspect. Um, the importance of just your own loving contact to yourself. And, you know, how you spoke of having a morning routine that you're getting into to get into your body. What I'm finding is um, there's two ends of the spectrum. People coming in to see me feeling like their nervous systems are just shot and they feel like they are literally feeling like their whole body is in their head. So working with techniques to help them ground, for example, just touching your feet is one of the quickest ways to ground your body. And on the flip side, I'm working with clients who are 
wanting to even expand their vocabulary of self-care and getting into their bodies more. They want to deepen their understanding of it. So they're learning more advanced techniques, if you will. And I would say for the general public, there is a misconception that it takes hours out of your day to get embodied. It can take as little as five minutes to do a technique, like I shared before, simply just placing your hands on your feet, rubbing your feet for five minutes to help you drop down into your body. So when anyone comes to me and says, I just don't have the time to do it, I love to share that little segue that that's not an excuse. You, you do have the time, just take five minutes and that's all you really need. <laughs> I love that. And for the I'm so intrigued by the vagus nerve soothing. Where where would you recommend people place their hands on their bodies to help that rest and digest? This is something that was taught to me by my cranial sacral mentor, Sarah Johnston, years ago when I was, in, was starting the embodying process. And there are three simple hand positions. Do you mind if I go through those real briefly? Great. Yeah. Okay. So I I recommend this to people when they're just getting up in the morning or especially as they're starting to fall asleep at night. So you could place one hand just underneath your belly button on your sacral chakra area. Then you could take your other hand to your sternum heart center. And what I recommend starting off with is just three deep wave-like breaths. You know, as you breathe in, imagine your lower hand, the breath going down to the lower hand, expanding your belly like a balloon, and then the breath moving up into the chest, expanding the chest. And then as you exhale, having that lower hand fall towards your center and then your upper hand follows. So you're creating this wave and you're activating your diaphragm muscle. And the diaphragm muscle actually surrounds the vagus nerve. And if the diaphragm muscle gets tight, it can actually constrict that nerve and people have all sorts of adverse effects. So this is a wonderful one to start with. Then, so this is connecting our bodies and our hearts. Now, if you keep your lower hand in place, but just take your top hand and basically just cup the base of your skull, this is connecting the mind and the body. So you can revisit those three wave-like breaths here. And then after the third one, keep your top hand in place, take your bottom hand and bring that up to your heart center, sternum region, connecting the mind and the heart. And then you hang out there for those three breaths. And that's, that's that. (laughs) That feels amazing. I think I'm going to, bring that into the morning practice. That, that one really helped me as I, as I started this journey, this healing journey, the self-healing journey. And I think, she, I think Sarah introduced that to me almost 10 years ago now. And it's actually a go-to not only for myself, but what I've shared with clients and students the past 10 years, it really is a gem. Well, speaking of healing, I'd like to ask you about our body's innate healing ability since you specify in your work that you're not healing a person, you're simply supporting that person to heal themselves. Can you tell me more about that? Sure. So a lot of my work uh, the past seven years has been focusing on the fascia and specifically uh, the work I've been studying with uh, my mentor, John Barnes, and his myofascia release approach. And one 
thing that I find fascinating to this day about the fascia is it's not just a physical entity. I mean, it's what embeds everything underneath the surface of our skin from the largest muscle group down to the tiniest cell. It's like an internal spider web that connects every part of our body to each other. So it's just this one system. The thing about it though, it's not just physical. It is also considered the tissue of consciousness. So any traumas we may have experienced, be them physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, that weren't fully experienced at the time of the onset get stored in this system. And so what can happen, especially, you know, it can happen anytime you receive any sort of body work, whether it's massage therapy, reflexology, acupuncture. And with the fascial system, when you receive myofascial release, what can happen is the fascial system can become unlocked and those memories can start flooding to the surface in different ways, whether it's a memory in your mind that you haven't thought about in years coming to the surface, whether you start to have an emotional release by feeling sad, uh, laughing, you know, feeling anger, what have you. Um, it can also come up as physical symptoms being like, whoa, I haven't felt this since I broke my arm in the sixth grade type of experience. And what that's doing is just the fascial system unlocking what has been stored so it could come to the surface so then you can work through it to release it. And so coming from that viewpoint and that model, yes, I am there to help your fascial system unlock. However, I am not in your body experiencing the emotions coming to the surface, experiencing the memories that may need to be worked through in order to move on experiencing the physical symptoms that may need some extra treatment, whether it's uh, with a manual therapist like me or doing self-care. I'm not experiencing that for you. And I can't heal that for you because of that. I can help unlock it for you. But ultimately, it's up to the individual to do the rest of the work from there. And so and as, as painful as some of those experiences may be, the old adage of you have to feel it in order to heal it really proves true. And I can't do the feeling for you. I do take responsibility and do my own feeling for stuff that has come up in my experience so I can better hold space for you know yourself or someone that comes in and hold space for their experience. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the person receiving the work that has to feel it. And that's where that innate healing capacity could come in. Now, I do also want to say, though, that while it's important to have that understanding when you receive a session, if, if something gets stirred up, you know, to be the one to take responsibility to move through it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be thrown to, out to the wind. You know, it's like if you have something pretty painful and traumatic coming up to the surface, you know, I always do my best to tell my clients that, hey, you're not alone in this. I might not be the appropriate practitioner for you to move through something that has come up emotionally or psychologically, but I am well connected with people that can help you. So reach out to me and I'll send you in that direction. Um, that's one example. Um, and I think that's just really important to note because if people go in for a session and they do have 
what we call it in the, the MFR world, the myofascial world is a healing crisis. And the word crisis can be a little daunting, but in essence, crisis can be translated to the word sift. So healing sift, your body is sifting through stuff that it don't, no longer wishes to carry in order for it to heal. That it's important that A, they know it's a possibility that that can happen, that you might feel a little funkier, a little worse before you get better, but that it's not necessarily a negative thing. But if you need support along the way to know that there are people like me that are there to help lead you in the right direction. So you can go have support as you continue to tap into those innate healing capacities. I love that. And I love that 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 support can be made available for those instances when I I always think of that phrase, the body doesn't lie. (laughs) There's so much that we we don't realize that we were holding. Yeah. And I feel like my life experience has, has proven that point. You know, the first time my, my kneecap <laughs> would dislocate in rehearsal, that was the knee injury that would constantly happen. You know, at first I had this somewhat victim mentality of like, why is this happening to me? And, Cause it even happened a month into rehearsals with the first dance company I got accepted into. And I had to take time off almost immediately but then something deeper inside of me, and perhaps this could be an example of innate healing capacity, this, this deep feeling, it wasn't even necessarily a voice inside of me, was like, uh-uh-uh, you're not a victim here. There is something that I, i.e. my body, is trying to tell you, please listen. And it took me a long time to actually listen. But once I did, it was like, oh my gosh, my body my body's been trying to be my friend this whole time by warning me that there's something off. And even though it was a painful warning, it was doing what it could to keep up with the demands that I was putting on it until it couldn't anymore. And I feel like those knee injuries are at the time I was devastated when I had to pull myself out of performance. I I went into a depression from that experience, stepping away from the performing world. However, looking back, on that experience and where I am today, it by far is one of the best blessings in my life that those injuries occurred because it woke me up, even though it took time, it woke me up to be like, whoa, course correct. Mm -mm. There's something else going on here and you can move through this. You've got it. I'm grateful for it because I feel like having gone through the experience, I just feel that I'm better equipped to be there for others when they're going through theirs. If I hadn't gone through it myself, you know, that whole, there's a whole uh, wounded healer, you know, storyline. And perhaps maybe that is uh, my experience as well. But I, I feel that there's some truth to that, you know, when, when you can authentically be there with someone for someone who's going through something and there's a, a shred of deep understanding that, yes, I've been there too. Even that alone, like I've noticed over the years when, a client comes in and they share with me what they're going through and they know very well that I'm not a a psychologist or a therapist. And I make that very clear, but you know, we're all connected and sometimes the stress of their lives, they're feeling it in their bodies and they just feel like they need a space to vent it, even though I'm not doing anything to fix it. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's amazing when a client has felt heard 
in a, a very um, open-minded space that I do my best to create, sometimes the, their healing starts to happen right there. Some of their pain starts to go away right there before I even put my hands on them. And that's, that's a, a beautiful thing. You know, when I first started experiencing pain, I felt so alone in it because no one else around me was going through the same thing. So I actually shut down further. And it wasn't until going through years and years of, of um, those painful experiences, ultimately to start learning about the healing world, that I start to realize, whoa, I thought I was alone this whole time. And that couldn't have been further from the truth. So even if someone just calls me for a consultation and we talk and through that talk, discover that, mm, I think it's best if you see like an orthopedic doctor for this first before getting any hands-on treatment, for example, when we hang up the phone, that feels so good to me to have been there for that person that might have been feeling alone. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. I think for me as well, anytime there is a challenging part of life, one of those valleys, you know, um, among the peaks and valleys, for some reason, it is really easy to go into that feeling of, of being alone or being the only one going through it. And, and the fact of the matter is we're really not. And, um, especially, you know, during quarantine time when we're isolated anyway, it's, it might exacerbate that feeling. You know, if this could just be a reminder when we are not amongst our community, like we were before, that it doesn't mean that the community has disappeared. You know, if, if we all are following quarantine protocol and, you know, spending most time at home, we're in this together, you know? And uh, I think that's one of the beautiful things about, you know, Skype and, and Zoom. It's giving us opportunities to still connect, even though it's two-dimensionally, you know, uh, it's a nice opportunity to, to, to have that sense of, okay, I'm not alone here. Well, speaking of this quarantine time and amid all of the changes that we're seeing in the world and in our lives, I'm wondering if there are any practices that you're finding really healing for yourself at the moment. What's helping you stay grounded and embodied and joyful in your day? You know, during this time, I, I have to say, you know, the first two weeks of quarantine in March when I had to close my in-person practice and I wasn't doing any online workshops with clients at that time, I had a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. I almost didn't know what to do with myself. And I won't say it was a, a, a depression. I have been through that before. It was a little different than that. It was just more of like, okay, I give up what, what's happening now. <laughs> and so I, I share that it, it lasted for just a couple of weeks until I, you know, had discovered the possibility of being able to bring my work online and to find a reconnection with my home and things that I could do in my home that were motivation to get up in the morning. And that I think was a very important experience and time to reconnect me with my humanity and to remember that I am a human being going through this experience just like everyone else and that it doesn't have to look perfect or be perfect because none of us have been through this before. So what is it supposed to look like? Who knows? So just honoring my moments of my humanness when I feel like I'm floundering, you know, or when I feel like I'm 
just not as motivated on this day compared to that day. Um, and also enjoying the simple things in my life that are closer to home, being grateful, you know, for my cats and my relationship and for this computer, you know, those mindset practices have been very beneficial, just honoring that. And as far as any specific practices, I have to say, uh, you know, I have been practicing yoga for over 20 years, which I, I know you know that and have just recently, it's funny, I started my teacher training certification right as quarantine hit. So we had to do the certification online. And um, through that, though, I was able to study with my teacher and I continue to study with him, Suda Weixler, four days a week. And so my yoga practice has actually deepened the closer I've been to home. And I think in part because I, I haven't been rushing around to get to the class. I had more time in my schedule to devote to a more consistent practice. And I've really enjoyed that, that work ever since. And, um, you know, the, the other most notable thing I will have to say is now that my in-person practice is, is reopen, I've been riding my bike to work. And I have to say, yes, it's, it's great to get some physical activity in the day, but being in the fresh air, feeling the wind on my face, feeling even as it's getting colder, the crispness of the fall air, those aspects of riding on a bike, you know, it's something that I'm really savoring right now, just really allowing myself to enjoy all aspects of it. And I find that that's been bringing me great joy and um, a sense of well-being and just connected with the hometown that I live in, the, you know, the neighborhood I'm in, the environment around me. It's, it's been wonderful. There are so many creative ways to think about getting moving and bringing some joy and freshness into our lives that maybe we wouldn't have considered pre-quarantine. Like I got some roller skates and so <laughs> roller skating, it's been so fun because for so long I've been thinking like, Oh, I should start running, but I just never get to it. But somehow roller skating is is so fun that I don't even notice how much of an exercise I'm getting. And it brings back that childlike joy. So I encourage, you know, all our listeners, like if you're really feeling in a rut and are like, Oh gosh, I don't know what I can really do. Maybe try something different. How you were saying that you don't even notice you're getting exercise. I feel like that's the best form of exercise. You know, speaking of embodiment from earlier too, I've seen over the years and myself included so many of us are pushing ourselves to do this workout regime or this particular fad. And there are some people, yes, that are enjoying those, but I can't begin to tell you the number of people I've worked with over the years that aren't enjoying some of those activities and are pushing themselves to do it because they think that's the next best thing to do. Yet, to your point, the joy that you feel to the point you kind of forget you're exercising, that has so many more physical, mental, emotional, spiritual benefits than if you are just hitting your head against the wall, trying to make yourself do an activity that you're not enjoying at all. <laughs> and if you don't mind me saying too, one of the things you had asked me earlier, what I might've been noticing collectively, one thing I think that's really beautiful during this time is Yes, there are definitely peaks and valleys that people are recognizing. And I think people have become 
more gentle with each other on some level, even though there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of the opposite going on that we're seeing in the news, but one-on-one face-to-face with people or, or zoom to zoom, there, there seems to be almost more of a compassion love, like, yes, I'm in this too, because we're, we are in this together. And with that, I've also seen just this resiliency come up in people and, and this creativity, like you're saying with the roller skates, you know, getting creative with, you know, getting in touch with different ways you can move your body or maybe different ways you could be in your home space. You know, it's just, it's really quite remarkable seeing how people are pivoting and, and getting creative with this new way of being in the world for this time. Yeah, I'm so glad we talked about joy and movement that's coming from a place of joy or movement that like sparks joy in us. And it really makes me think of dancing. And that's one of the places where you can be sweating and doing so much physically and just having such a great time and not even noticing what what an actual great physical workout it was. And not to mention just the uplifting of the spirit and connection. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm curious about f- for people who maybe feel like they're quote unquote, not a dancer or they feel too shy to move around maybe even in the privacy of their own home. Do you have any advice for folks who, who feel a longing to kind of get into their bodies more, but are just like, Oh, but I'm not a dancer. Oh my gosh. I would love to speak to this because I have heard this throughout all of my years. Yes. There is this very common misconception that dance is what a professional dancer can do on stage. That is a sliver of what dance is. And and mind you, that's actually what I thought dance was when I was performing and when I was training, is that I thought that I'm a dancer if I'm performing on stage. I am a dancer if I'm in dance class. I'm a dancer if I'm training my body in this way. And then when I stopped dancing professionally, I couldn't call myself a dancer. Like I couldn't get myself to call myself a dancer. And Friends by, around me were so perplexed. They're like, but your whole life has been dance. Why are you forgoing this part of your experience? And it's because I had this belief that, well, I wasn't performing on stage anymore. So then that means that I am not a dancer. And it took me years of discovery to realize what I find in this particular quote that I think is beautiful and perfectly said, uh, the dancer Anna Halperin said, dance is breath made visible. And so what, why I share that is because that quote alone can open up the possibility to widen the scope as to what dance is. If dance is breath made visible, then we are all dancers. We all are dancers. And if you could even think about, you know, how is the breath moving in and out of your body? And do you notice... How is your body moving? Even if it's ever so subtle, how is your body moving as you breathe in and as you breathe out? That alone is a dance. You know, even in my dance training, especially when I got into the world of contemporary dance, we would play with some of the most subtle movements that were so almost invisible to the naked eye, unless you're really watching, but that was dance. So, 
I just invite people to, you know, really breathe in that quote, dance is the breath made visible. And understand that, yes, there is the refined art of dance, and that is beautiful in its own right and takes a lot of discipline and study. And at the same time, if we are all breathing and moving through life, I invite people to start thinking, how are you dancing through your day? Are you in resistance mode? And are you feeling that in your body? Are you feeling resisting everything you're going into? Because that could honestly be a dance. Or are you going with the flow? And are you feeling like your joints are just easily moving along and that nothing can sway you, you know? Uh, do you feel like the breath moving in your body is just contributing to you feeling a little bit more lethargic and just wanting to be in bed and maybe just take a nice luxurious stretch at one point in time and then come back down into a fetal position and just chill there for a minute or so, you know, we're dancing all the time if, if we come from that lens. So when it comes to actual experiences where you are dancing with friends, or even if you hear some music and you're at home and you just start moving, you know, I invite you to just, you know, play with your, your breath, start there, see how it's moving in and out of your body. And there is that quote, dance like no one's watching. You know, if you're at home by yourself, you know, and you're adopting this mindset that we're dancing in every moment of our everyday lives, perhaps I could take some of that pressure off, you know. Um, and the last thing I'll say, too, is there are some of the most beautiful technical dancers in this world that are incredible technicians. But there's a cutoff from emotion. And yet when you see a dancer that has both a connection to their emotion and their feeling state, as well as their technical abilities. Whoa, that just can touch people on a really deep level, even if, even if they're not maybe the most perfect technician, if that makes sense. So why I share that is even in the refined world of training as a dancer, I used to tell my dance students that it's almost more important to feel the movement rather than to try to copy it exactly, but yet not have any feeling behind it. Because people connect with feeling more than just with external looks, if that makes sense. I just invite people to take pressure off themselves, you know, and especially if like they're in a class with me, you know, turn off your camera if you don't want to be seen. Um, but if you do just know that, how are you feeling? It's not about what it looks like. It's about how it feels to you. Let this be an exercise for you to deepen your connection with yourself. And once you get that, I mean, that's the most important part of dance, I think, even if you're training as a dancer. The connection with yourself, the connection that you feel can really just emulate so much beauty, whether you're dancing or talking to someone or just walking to work. You know, when you're connected with yourself, I don't think anything can really stop you. Heather, I have full body chills as you talk about this. And I think what you're saying is a very potent way of living, like a philosophy of life, because I had never thought about every day as a dance. And especially in difficult times when so much is shifting 
for us to have fluidity and response and be in a flow of, of relationship to like, Oh, okay. So now this is moving in that direction. So I'll move in this direction and, and not approaching everything with rigidity, like, okay, I'm going to push. And no matter what the response is, I'm just going to keep pushing the same way. Um, it's such an amazing visual and a feeling in my body. Like when I think about it, I just gain space and that's, yeah, that's really powerful. The practice of dance, the practice of embodiment in our lives can really influence the way that we go about our day, the way that we live, the way that we respond to what happens to us in a day and how we react. You, you said it. I, I can't say it any more perfectly. And the, the way you said it, I, I will share that, you know, it was by, it took a while for me, but it, adopting this, this viewpoint really helped me reclaim my connection with dance. And I was able to call myself a dancer again, even though I'm not performing on stage anymore. And to your point, yes, it has helped me move through life, even though it's not always easy, but it's helped me move through life with um, a greater sense of flow and, and curiosity and playfulness rather than a constant resistance state. You know, um, but but there is importance to recognizing if there is a resistant state that comes up because it makes you aware of like, oh, okay, this is where I'm at right now. I am pushing against everything. That's really important information to know first, you know, before you start to try to soften the edges a little. And so it sounds like you've come full circle in a way back to dance or the essence of what dance has meant to you and infuse that through your current work. It has. And uh, I actually feel a, a deeper and almost, I will say, healthier connection to dance than I ever have before. Even on those days where I was rehearsing five days a week, I feel more connected to dance, dancing on my own two to three days a week than I do with what I did before because of this. What is almost the most important aspect of the work that I'm doing, whether I'm working hands-on with someone one-on-one, doing a self-care session one-on-one or any group work that I do, is it's my desire to do the best that I can in playing the part of helping to empower others, to whether it's just help them, empower them, learn more about their own bodies, ways that they can take care of it when they might not be able to come into session, which became very apparent during the stay at home order here in Chicago, when I couldn't see my clients in person, you know, that desire to help empower people to, to be in better connection with their bodies, um, is really important. So, you know, when I am working with someone one-on-one, even during the body work sessions, you know, I will share with them specific things going on inside their bodies so they have a better education as far as what's underneath the surface of the skin and why X, Y, or Z might be ailing them in connection to another part of their body, if that makes sense. And yeah, just teaching 
self-care techniques after self-care techniques and but but also adding that dash in of you don't have to be perfect with the self-care uh, we I feel like we live in a, a culture that's very much about like perfection on some level but there's no such thing and so you know when I see clients start off on some of their self-care journey with me how sometimes they'll berate themselves for not doing it as much as they quote unquote should or, or feeling like they're doing it wrong or whatever it might be. It's like, or they're not doing it long enough. And it's like, well, no, wait, let's backtrack here. Just take five minutes a day to get into your body, whether it's a breathing technique I showed you, whether it's you just standing on the grass outside, whether it's you just going for a short walk around the block, whatever it is, you know, take the pressure off yourself do the best you can. That's all we can ask of ourselves right now. And, um, you know, if you need a little voice of encouragement, when you feel like the, the nasty voice inside of you might be kind of coming down on you, just maybe think of me cheering you along. Don't be so perfect. (laughs) It makes me think of what you said earlier, which is, this is about your relationship with yourself. And that for me also can really be a motto for life. Like this is not about how you look to other people and what other people think and external measurements of status and achievement, but what do you think about what you're doing? How, how, how are you with yourself? How do you talk to yourself? And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's an ongoing process. (laughs) It is. And it's like, you are with yourself a hundred percent of the time and, if you are not enjoying your own company, it's going to be really challenging uh, to in, enjoy the company of others and, and vice versa, but also just being in this world. So, yeah, to your point, you got to start with yourself and hopefully you could be kind to yourself along the way. <laughs> yeah, let's befriend our ourselves. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, speaking of that, the cells of our body respond to what we say. I mean, have you seen what the bleep do we know many years ago? Oh, I obsessed over that film and watched it so many times, admittedly, Um, without giving much away. There is a scene where it's like they show these cartoon characters of cells inside someone's body. And each cartoon character had a different personality. One was like gorging food, you know, eating a bunch of food. Another one was walking around trying to be perfect. Another one was really angry. Another one was sad, so on and so forth. And the more this person started berating the body or berating themselves, those cells that responded to that increased. And then those that were feeling sad, you know, the cells would, you know, become a little more pronounced and whatnot. So if you can think of our cells, you know, respond to even the thoughts we think, not to scare you, but it's like, you know, maybe just could maybe stop you for a moment when you find a more challenging voice (laughs) talking in your mind, you know, maybe stop and pause for a moment if you can catch it and even put your hand on your heart for a moment to remember yourself, remember your body, remember your beingness, your human beingness. And maybe course correct, just be like, okay, yes, I'm used to thinking that way. However, I'd like to just 
think this way instead. Or so simple, simple things to remember, like putting your hand on your heart or your hand on your lower belly or feeling your feet that can really make a huge difference. Simple. We are living in so much complexity right now. It's like, yes, simple. Simple is one of the gateways to get connected with yourself in a kind way. Well, for those who are curious and interested in learning more about your work, where can we find you online? I would say the best place would be my website, www.heatherfralick.com. And all of my practices information, workshop information, retreat information, all up on that site. And if you have any questions, my email address is there and you can call phone numbers there too. And so you have some online offerings as well as in person for those who live in Chicago. Correct. And the online offerings are actually available to anyone throughout the world who would like to participate. Well, thank you so much, Heather. This has been nourishing and grounding to talk about these things. I feel like my whole body is like, yay. (laughs) Thank you. So thank you so much for sharing everything that you are doing in the world right now. Oh, my pleasure, Dorte. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for listening to the show. You can hear other episodes on moontent.co or subscribe to the Moonwise podcast on iTunes or Spotify. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. I read each and every review and appreciate your feedback and support so much. You can also leave a comment on the Moonwise Sisterhood group in Facebook. Our theme music is by Sophie Cooper from her album Rewilding. You can find her online at voicealchemy.com. See you next time.